Would you take your Bible, go to Proverbs chapter 13 and Matthew chapter number 5. Proverbs 13, Matthew chapter number 5. A little bit of a pop quiz to start off. You don't have to answer out loud, but I do want to get your thought on it. I want to get you thinking. Now, I'll say this. This morning's message is very much meant to engage your brain, engage your mind. And I don't say that because the message is super deep. It's really not. It's a pretty elementary uh, uh, principle of Christianity, but it's one that requires your thought. So let me ask you, as you're turning there, uh, what is the first attribute... We learn about God. Don't answer out loud. I want you to think about it. When you open the Bible, what's the very, very first thing you learn? What's the first attribute that God leads with? Now, if you remember when you first started dating, uh, you know, you always want to put your best foot forward. You wanted your, your future spouse to, to know this particular thing about you. Well, if you think about it in Scripture, what's the first thing God tells us? Well, you don't have to go past the first sentence. The Bible tells us that in the beginning, God created. Now, how many in this room show by uplifted hand, you would consider yourself a creative person? Raise your hand. How many of you would say, not a creative person, just going to own it? Okay, that's fine. Um, This morning's message and this morning's truth that hopefully goes well beyond the message, I hope this to be a primary theme uh, of our church as we endeavor to to reach our county for Christ and and obviously our world for Jesus, Uh, it's going to necessitate a little bit of creativity, a little bit of thinking, a little bit of engaging our minds and uh, trying to understand exactly what God would have for you as an individual. Um, There is the revealed will of God. We've heard some messages recently about that. What does God say in scripture? What is clear in scripture? That is what I'm supposed to do. But I'm going to add a little bit of a modifier to that. That's a bit generic because it's for everybody. Everybody's supposed to be in church. Everybody's supposed to be serving. Everybody's supposed to be handling the word of God and teaching the word and so on. All those things are, are generic and and across the general population is an expectation of God. But there are some very specific things that God has put in your life and in mind that he desires to use for his kingdom that's going to require you to be a little bit creative, okay? So I want to kind of put you in mind. You're over there in Proverbs chapter 5. I'm going to start, uh, or Proverbs, I, I forgive you, I think it's Matthew chapter 5, Proverbs 13. I'm going to start in Ephesians chapter number 4 and remind you of what my job is before I hope to try to do my job this morning as your pastor. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11 says this, And he gave some apostles, I'm not an apostle, and some prophets, I'm not a prophet, and some evangelists, I am supposed to do the work of an evangelist, but I'm not by definition an evangelist. And then he says, and some pastors and teachers. Now, we have teachers in our church, thank God for every person who will handle the word and teach the saints of God today. But that's my job as well, and I am the pastor of Faith Baptist Church. But why did he give us teachers and pastors into the church as we know it today? Verse number 12 gives us this word, for. That word for means for the goal of, to accomplish this particular purpose, okay? If you go to the store for milk, what do you get at the store? Everything but milk, right? Uh, If you're like me, I go to the store and I never remember milk, right? So you go to the store for milk. God gave the church pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, I have to say, I'm not sure uh, that there has ever been a time in my life personally where I have been more convinced of my responsibility as a pastor toward the people God has given me to shepherd. I don't think there's ever been a time where God has given me so much clarity in my heart and mind on exactly what my job is for you all. And I think that that's reasonable. I've I've only been the senior pastor for about eight years. We're coming up on eight years in about a month. Um, And I've only been a a senior pastor for a little while. And so obviously there's time to grow and seasons where I got to get my feet under me. But right now I feel like as a pastor, I am so clear-headed on exactly what God would 
have. The mandates of God have never rested heavier on my soul to reach the world from Bakersfield. The call of God has never burned quite so bright in my chest than it does right now. And there's a lot of things about how our church is going to operate and, and, and how we're going to intersect with the kingdom of heaven and how we're going to do some of the things God has put out in front of us that honestly I have to say I don't have all figured out. But... There's an awful lot that I do know, uh, an awful lot I have found plainly revealed within the scriptures. Not the least of these is found in verses 11 and 12 that I just read. It is my job as a pastor to perfect the saints. Now, what does perfecting mean? The word means this, to bring someone or something to completion, to wholeness. Think about it like if you're, uh, how many of you are jigsaw people? All of my non-creative people. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. Um, you want me a jigsaw person, right? Perfection is when you place that last puzzle piece in its place, and it is complete. It is whole. There's nothing left to be done. Now, I, I've been given the job to do that, but the fact of the matter is, not until heaven will we all be perfected. But it is my job as a pastor to perfect the saints, to bring them along in their journey to the image and fullness of Jesus. But I want to ask you a question. Why? Why is it my job as a pastor to help perfect you? Well, that's where we get to that word for. That word for means pointing to the goal. You go to the store for the milk. And the job of a pastor is to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, tonight we'll spend some further time explaining exactly what does ministry mean. But suffice it to say, ministry is heaven's will being done on earth. Heaven's will being done here in my life. It's what some preachers might call kingdom building. And now, I don't, if you're joining us today, I don't have time to go over exactly what the kingdom is. Check on last week. We went through the whole thing of its future fulfillment, its present iteration, its previous uh, fulfillment in the garden, and so forth. But I want you to catch this phrase when we start, start thinking about what is ministry. Ministry happens when my gifts... My calling, speaking of you as well, ministry happens when my gifts, callings, administrations, operations intersect with his kingdom's purpose. So God has a will in heaven that he desires to be done here on earth. Ministry happens when I take what's in my hands and in my life and in my heart and in my abilities and in my talents and I surrender those things that God has put within me. I surrender those to his kingdom's purpose. Ministry then begins to happen. When what he's doing in me starts to intersect with what he wants to do in other people. That's ministry. So when he is perfecting me, now I'm going out and I'm doing the work of the ministry. When he's doing a work in me, and yes, he hasn't completed it till the day that I die, right? But he's doing that work in me. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. So I'll remind you again, it's my job as a pastor to try to help spur you to grow. It's my job to try to help perfect you so that you can then turn around and try to help perfect other people. And again, I'm not saying you're ever going to be perfect and it's not our job to point out everyone's flaws, but it is our job and my job to try to help you grow into the image of Jesus to push you to be more like Jesus. Now, there's some things I've learned along the way, the longer that I've preached, the longer I've been in ministry, which again is not a long time, but sometimes people don't like being pushed to that. Sometimes people don't like the idea of being less like them and more like Jesus. A lot of times we like the way that we are. And if we thought the way we were was wrong, we would change it. But we like it. It's sufficient. It's comfortable. It's what we know. We're familiar with it. And so sometimes people prefer their own opinions to those of Jesus' opinions. 
Sometimes people prefer their goals, their kingdom, their work, their will be done on earth. And a lot of times we pray the opposite. We want our will on earth to be done in heaven. Hey, Lord, up there, can you change this down here? No, no, no. Prayer is the opposite. Prayer is God. Here's my circumstances. You have a plan for this. Can I know that plan and do it here and now? That's thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. But sometimes people don't like the idea of being in ministry of intersecting their gift and their life and their administration into God's kingdom purpose. People don't like that because oftentimes ministry comes with a cross. Okay? Ministry comes with the responsibility of dying daily. And the more you call an undying man to die, the less he might like that commission or that call. But as I stand before you, I remind you that that is my job. And it's not always one that I enjoy doing. It's certainly not one that I enjoy doing with a, like, aha, you gotcha. I don't like ever rebuking God's people, but sometimes that's necessary. I don't think that's necessarily the, the case this morning. Because it is, but it is no less my job, whether I enjoy it or not. It is my job to invite you. And here's the, the, where, why I had you go to uh, Proverbs and to Matthew. This morning, I want to invite you to something that really our flesh, nobody's flesh enjoys. None of us like this. I don't like this. But in my spirit, God bears witness with me that this is truth. I want to invite you this morning to consider the idea of being poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. It's how Jesus opened up the Beatitudes, which is where you're at in Matthew 5. One author defines poor in spirit as this. Not those who are spiritually poor, that is, lacking in faith or love, but those who have a humble spirit and thus depend upon God. This is key. Listen. Those who have released all else that they would otherwise depend upon. That's poor in spirit. Hey, I have something, but I could trust in my riches or my talent or my job or my home. I could trust in that. But in order to be poor in spirit, I have to relinquish that to his kingdom's purpose. I want to read for you some paradoxical verses found in the Bible. You may have come across them in your personal Bible reading, and you've maybe thought like I have, hey, that doesn't make sense. Well, let me read for you. You're in Proverbs 13. Chapter 7 is where we'll start. Proverbs 13, 7 says this. There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. Now, anybody past like third grade math knows that's backwards. Right? No, 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 no. If I make myself rich, I have stuff. But God says I have nothing. And then if I make myself poor, then I don't have anything. And God says, no, 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 you're rich. There's a New Testament parallel. You don't have to go there. I'll go there. You go to Matthew chapter number 5. I'll go to 2 Corinthians 6.10. You can write the reference down. He says, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, Paul's speaking of himself, yet making many rich. As having nothing, and yet possessing all things. You see, this is an absolute paradox. How can someone who has everything be poor? And someone who has nothing be rich? That equation does not work unless... Now, there's an unless. This is where it comes full circle. That equation of making yourself poor and having great riches versus making yourself rich and having nothing, that equation does not work unless you factor in the kingdom of heaven. Because on this earth, if you make yourself poor, you know what you are? Poor. You give away that which you would trust in. You have nothing else to trust in. Solomon understood this perfectly, right? If I, if I bereave myself of all my goods, I've got nothing. I'm at a table by myself all alone. But if you factor in the kingdom of heaven, you get to Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
Would you read the rest of the verse out loud with me? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who have relinquished that which God has given them that they could otherwise trust in. They've surrendered that to his will and his kingdom's purpose. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And at the risk of adding another definition of what ministry is, that's what ministry is. Someone who surrenders what they could otherwise do themselves, what they could otherwise have themselves, what they could otherwise build themselves and says, hey, Lord, if you want this, it's yours, you can have it. When someone takes their giftings or possessions or abilities and surrenders it to God's sake for the sake of God seeing other folks get saved, that is the ministry. Now, again, I'll remind you, that's my job as a pastor to perfect you to that end to teach you, to equip you, to train you, to challenge you, to rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Why? For ministry. To call you to allow Jesus to have all of your life, to have your possessions and your passions, your giftings and administrations and operations, your personality, your future, your money, your career, and your time. You say, but if I do that, Pastor, what would I be left with? I would be poor in spirit. But yours would be the kingdom of heaven. So let me say this before I move on. Poor in spirit doesn't necessarily make you poor, okay? Uh, It it just makes you uh, unpossessed uh, by all of those things. It just means that you've surrendered them back to God. It makes you unprotective of the things you hold in your hand. If you need to know the opposite of this, go to the nursery today, and you can find my children or your children, and here's what's happening. My toy. It's not even their toy. The toy belongs to Faith Baptist Church. That's not your toy. But we hold on to it like it's ours, and nobody else gets to touch it. Poor in spirit doesn't mean you lose your toy. It just means Jesus can take it if he wants it. Doesn't mean that he will, but it does mean you give him the absolute permission. A great biblical Old Testament example of that would be Isaac and Abraham. God didn't take Isaac from Abraham, but Abraham gave Isaac to the Lord. There was a poorness of spirit, a bankruptcy of his heart and his soul and his possessions to say, hey, this is yours. And God says, great, yours is the kingdom of heaven. That's poor in spirit. And that, again, is what I, as a pastor, am trying to invite you to entertain. This is not a new concept to our church family. We've heard this truth before, no doubt. But one thing we regrettably have not done much of, and uh, here's a water bottle, praise the Lord. (laughs) One thing we have not done much of, and I hope to give you a remedy, this morning... I want to give you some practical, real-life ways that you can, and ideas, these are ideas, ways that you and I can employ what Jesus has given us into his ministry. And we're going to get real practical. We're going to get creative this morning. And uh, we're not, don't worry, we're not taking creative license and changing scripture. We're going to show you what they did in the Bible days and how that equates to maybe what you and I have in our hands and could use for his kingdom. And we're going to show you and think through some things like, hey, maybe you could use this for the kingdom of God and maybe you've never thought of it. Maybe you could use this for the kingdom of God and perhaps you've never thought of it. In fact, 2 Corinthians 8, 12 tells us this, uh, that uh, a man is expected to give what he has and not what he doesn't have. Now, listen, uh, gentlemen, would you put that map up there for me? You're going to see this a lot over the course of the next few months, probably. This map is a picture of our county, a county that I do believe that God, with all of my heart, clearly listed in Scripture, has given to you and I as a responsibility of reaching. Now, there is a kingdom that must be built by God's people within this map. And here's what I know to be true. The gifts, 
talents, possessions, money, skills necessary to build that kingdom sit within this room. And they're not all money. And they're not all preaching. And they're not all teaching. I am fully convinced that if God has given us the responsibility, He has given us the capability to do His work. And so as your pastor, I want to spend the rest of this morning's message trying to give you four practical ways that you can make yourself and myself poor in spirit for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And I think, like I said, it's going to take some creativity. We're going to think a little bit outside of the box, but well within the pages of Scripture to show you some examples of how people... Because here, let me, let me just say this. Maybe cherry picking from the message. Let me just say this. When we think of the churches that Paul started, we think of Paul. You know who we don't think of? Lydia. You know who we don't think of? Oftentimes, we don't think of the different people like Simon the Tanner, who used what God had given them for the sake of the kingdom of God. And so this morning, we're not getting creative, like I said, outside of the bounds of Scripture. We're going to go back to the Scripture and show you how God used a team full of people with different giftings and operations and administrations and possessions who made themselves poor for the kingdom of God. Didn't make themselves poor necessarily, but made themselves poor for the kingdom of God, and he was able to do great things through their collective ability. So let's pray and we'll jump in. Father, I ask God that you'd guide us today. I pray, Lord, you'd be with my voice. I pray, God, you'd give it strength. I pray, Father, that you'd help us to be able to listen intently, Lord. Let there be no distractions and moving around, Lord. Let us be able to lean into the Scripture this morning and be able to hear what the Spirit would say to the church and let us see these very, very biblically grounded principles that oftentimes we've just missed because we're, we're, we're only seeing the, the big person in the story or the Paul or the Peter, and yet there's so many people who are doing so many things for the kingdom of God with what they have. And so, Lord, I'm thankful for the people you've given us and the things that you've given them, the skills and positions and so forth. And I pray, God, that they'd be willing to use that for the furtherance of your kingdom and for the sake of the gospel ministry. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So this morning's message is, like I said, designed to get each and every one of us to think. Uh, What do I have and how do I use it for the kingdom. I'm going to spend a bit, uh, the bulk of my time trying to give you some ideas and options and opportunities and, like I said, biblical examples of how saints of old used what they had in their hands or in their lives for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now, I also know this is why I started where I did. You will either love this message or hate this message. I don't know if there's really an in-between. You'll either love this message or hate it in the fact that if you are unpossessive of the things God has given you, if you recognize that you're just a steward and and if Jesus wanted it, he could have it in the true sense, not in like the, you know, we sing the song, I surrender all and, you know, we don't. I, I mean, like if you are genuinely surrendered, poor in spirit to say, hey, Lord, if what I've got, you want it, you can have it, then you're going to love this message. If you are like the, 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 and I don't mean to be uh, condescending at all, but if you're the one that says, well, nobody can play with my toys, then this message is, is not going to be uh, one that you enjoy. Because you think, well, I earned this, I deserve it. And I would say that in a very American way, you're right, you did earn it. But <clears throat> have you ever thought to wonder why you earned it? Why did God allow you to earn it? Why did God give you the possessions, position, power that you have? Have you ever stopped and considered how that would intersect with the kingdom of God and how he could use that for the furtherance of the gospel within our community and within our world. But again, may I remind you uh, that there is that maketh himself rich and hath nothing. A Christian's mindset toward their life and that which is added to their life ought to be one of stewardship. Stewardship for the kingdom. Steward, that, that word for, right? The perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. Stewardship for that process, for that ends, to be poor in spirit and hold loosely what you have so that God could accomplish his will. 
Now, I'm going to give you four areas up front, and we're going to go through them. I'm going to give you four areas that God wants to use in your life for the kingdom. And everybody's going to be different. So you're going to have to be creative. I can't do the thinking all the way for you. So here are the four areas that I believe, without, without a doubt, God wants to use from your life to his kingdom. Number one, your treasure. Okay? And don't write that off as money because some of us don't have money. Okay, But you have something that's called treasure, and we'll work on that in a second. Your job, your giftings, and your time. Those are four areas that I believe if we would think outside of the normal way of thinking, uh, we, would, we would find ways that God desires for us to employ uh, uh, the, uh, what we have for the kingdom's sake. Oftentimes, we, we approach this message like, oh, yeah, God wants my time, and he wants my money and my treasure and all that stuff. And we think, I've heard that message before. Well, I would submit you've probably heard those points before, but I want you to engage a little bit deeper. We, we have this, it's just natural, we can't avoid it. We have this normal, like, 21st century Christian mentality that says, hey, I'm a good Christian, and I'm an obedient Christian, and I do my job if I go to church, and I serve in the church, and I give to the church. And Listen, all of those things are absolutely an expectation God has for you. But what about your involvement, your personal involvement in the kingdom of heaven? I'm not talking about coming to church and serving in church and giving in church. I'm talking about what has God put in your life and in your hands and in your family and in your path and in your power to be able to affect change for the will of God. I talked about that generic version of the will of God for your life. Yes, going to church, all of God's will or God's will for all of us to do that. But what about you as an individual? What about Casey Trudell? What about Carter Trudell? What about Noah and Emma? What about my wife? Well, what about you? What is God's specific will and plan for your life? We were all created different, right? We were all created unique. We all have different functions, right? We, we, we spent months talking about differences of operation or a month or so, a difference of operation and administration. You're passionate about something that I'm less passionate about. How did God build that into you and why? Why did God put that in your heart and how does that intersect with the kingdom of God? Maybe you're here and you have a, you're a teacher, or maybe you're a builder or a tech worker, etc. Can I submit to you that God has a very specific will for your life as it relates to the kingdom of heaven? And I know this because he made you unique. He put things in your life and things in your heart and passions in your personality and things in your hands that can and should be surrendered from the poorness of your spirit into the will and work of the kingdom. Uh, he, planned, he put these things in you for a reason. Some of you in this room have brilliant minds. Do you know that belongs to God? Some of you in here are great teachers. You know that belongs to God for the sake of the kingdom? Maybe you're in here and you're a skilled worker, uh, like, uh, uh, I think I'm trying to pronounce his, word, his name right, uh, Basileel, the man who designed and created the temple. The Bible says that he had, an ex he had a, a spirit of wisdom to be able to craft and create and make. Why? For the glory of God. Maybe you have that skill. And maybe you're using it for you, and that's fine. But it's on loan to you for the kingdom of heaven. Some in this room have resources, and God put them in your hand. Why? He made all things for you to enjoy. There's no doubt about that. But he made it for his kingdom. God perhaps puts you in a position of influence or authority or power. Why? Have you ever thought about that? Oftentimes we segment, well, this is my church life, and this is my real life. And I'm submitting to you to use some creativity and thought and say, no, no, no. This is all about the kingdom of heaven. This is all about God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. This is all about that. And if we ever stopped and thought and prayed through God, what I have in my hand, how could you use that? Maybe he could say, that's not for me. That one's for you. But I can promise you, if you never ask, you'll never know. You'll never know how those intersect. These gifts that God has given us are on loan to us, but they were given for the use of his kingdom. And my goal this morning isn't so much to get us to take our hands off of that, 
Because I don't think that's necessarily the issue. I, I think we've heard that message and we've got people who are surrendered. But here's my goal. I want you to think. I want you to engage your minds creatively and ask the Lord, hey, how does what I've got, you gave me, how does that fit into the work of the kingdom? And how can I use it for your sake? So let's start at the very beginning and ask, number one, how does my treasure fit into the kingdom of heaven? Now, would you go to 1 Timothy chapter number 6, verse 17? I'll just have you turn to one verse. I've got a couple. I'll read some for you. What is treasure, though? Well, treasure, in part, does mean money. It means more, and we'll talk about that in a second, but... Perhaps in this room, God has gifted you with money. Now, all of us are part of the richest 1% of the world, but I'm talking about those in this room who perhaps have more than enough. Why do you have more than enough? Well, I would submit to you that it's for the sake of the kingdom. You know, the Bible tells us this. Here's some, some, some curious things to consider. You know, the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 10, 19, that money answereth all things. Isn't that a weird verse? You can look it up. I, you don't, don't do it right now. You get distracted. But it's, it's Ecclesiastes 10.19. Solomon said that. He said, money answereth all things. You know, there's a host of things that have to be figured out for the sake of the kingdom. And you know that money will answer a huge portion of those. So why would God give you money? Well, maybe it's for that. You know, in Luke 16, Jesus himself says, make friends with mammon. That's a curious thought. 1 Timothy 6.17 says this, charge them that are rich in this world. This is Paul telling Peter, or forgive me, Paul telling Timothy, you're a pastor. This is your job, uh, pastor. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. He says, hey, money's not bad, but those that are rich in the world, pastor, it's your job to tell them, hey, get off the high horse. I'm glad you've got money, but you've got it to trust in God. You've got it for the sake of the kingdom. So treasure certainly includes money that he's given to you and I to enjoy. Can I ask you to think with me for a moment about this thought? The gospel necessitates those that are rich in this world. Think about that. Think about it. The gospel, now listen, God doesn't need anything we have, but God has used, and in scripture I'll show you how he used, those with money to further the gospel. Just like, follow me here, God has used those with a gift of preaching to further the gospel. And God gave me that gift, but he might have given you the other one. Why? Not so that I could become a speaker and make lots of money and be free from any care, but so that I can use it for the kingdom. In the same respect that perhaps God has given you money. Now, I'm going to read for you Philippians chapter 4, verse 15. It says, Now ye Philippians know also that at the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. We all know the church in Philippi is the example of the giving church. Once and again, they sent unto Paul's necessity. They cared for Paul. Paul said in Philemon that this church, through their giving, had, they had partaken in the ministry of the gospel because of their giving. Now, here's one thing I know. Well, here's one thing I don't know. I don't know every person that gave in the church in Philippi, but I know for sure one woman who did. In Acts chapter 16, you can write the reference down, you meet the founding member of the church in Philippi. Her name is Lydia. And Lydia is a seller of purple. We learn in Acts, I think it's 18, that she is a woman of great rank. And it is this woman's house that the church met in. She's a very wealthy woman. She paid for much of the missionary journeys of Paul. I can no doubt, all the way to the end of the uh, the, the New Testament, you find Lydia is present in this church, giving and giving and giving and sacrificing above and beyond what she could. Why? Because God put it in her hand for the sake of the ministry, for the sake of the kingdom of God. 
Some in this room, like I said, have been given monetary resources in your possession that are needed for the kingdom of heaven. And can I speak with those people for just a moment? I don't know who you are. This is the beauty of not knowing who gives or who gives what. And I can say that before the Lord with as clear conscience as I can. I don't know what you give. I have no idea. I have never once known any family that gave or how much they gave except my own. So let me talk to the people anonymously who I don't know who you are. Do not be high-minded because you have things. Your stuff is no less accessible than my gift of preaching. You hear me? Your possessions are no less guarded from God than my gift of preaching. My gift of preaching belongs to Jesus. He gave it to me on loan for the sake of his kingdom. Your possessions are exactly the same. Those who have the gift of teaching, there we would all say, oh, that gift has to be given to the church. Yes, it does. But your gift exists for the sake of the ministry of Jesus. But there are those, now let me speak to the, the, the rest of, I don't want to say us, but the, the rest of the folks in the room who perhaps don't have a lot of money. What other treasures do you have? Well, I'd submit to this. What about your car? Again, we're just being creative today, okay? We're thinking through some things. What about your car? When is the last time you used your car for the kingdom of heaven beyond bringing your family to church? All right, you're providing for your own. If you don't do that, you're worse than an infidel. I'm talking about when's the last time you used your car for the sake of the kingdom of God? Pick somebody up, made a visit, something of that nature. In fact, I was talking to Brother Herring. Where are you at? Are you here today? Brother Herring. Brother Herring, was, uh, he was looking at this map, and he said, Pastor. He said, you see this little dot right there? He said, I don't know who lives there, but I want to go find out. He said, I want to drive out there. I want to go see who lives at that little dot, that little dot in the top right corner, uh, forgive me, top left corner. You know what you could do? You could go take a survey trip and go pray over to Hatchapi. You could go pray over Taft or Maricopa. You could use your, well, that requires gas. Yes, pour in spirit. Surrender that which is yours to him so you can trust in him. Let's get real creative. Something I've been thinking a lot about. What about your house? Now, again, if, if these are my toys and nobody gets to play with them, this one's going to be uncomfortable. You know what I see when I see this map? Now, let me, let me illustrate this. Um, there's two farmers. This is just a funny story. There are two farmers that said, one farmer looked at the other and said, Bob, if you had a million dollars, would you give me half? He said, yeah, Bob, you know, you're Jim, you know I'd love you. I love you. I'd give you half. He said, well, if you had $100,000, would you give me half? He said, yeah, Jim, I'd give you half. And he said, now, Bob, if you had two cows, would you give me one? And Jim looked at him and he said, that's not fair. You know I got two cows, right? So that's what I feel like right now because I know you've got two cows. You know what I see when I look at this map? You know what I see? We already have soldiers within the gates. The Bible tells us in Matthew 16, 18, that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We've already gone through in missions conference explaining how little light there is in in this county. And we already have soldiers that live in those places. We already have meeting places within those places. You know I got two cows. I know you got two cows. He said, well, churches meet in churches. Not in the first century. In fact, Lydia was the one that housed the church in Philippi. 1 Corinthians 16, 19, I'll read it to you. The churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla saluteth you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. In fact, later on in Romans 16, we find this same couple moved to Rome, and the church in Rome met in their house. Nymphus! Raise your hand if you know Nymphus. Nobody. <laughs> yeah, I didn't either. Nymphus is apparently a woman who housed the church in Laodicea. You find that in Colossians chapter 14. Philemon chapter 1, verse number 2, to our beloved Apii and Acrippus, our fellow soldiers, and to the church in thy house. Listen, for the most part, we know 
the, uh, uh, the men and women who started these churches. But we fail to remember that there were so many amazing men and women who took what they had and used it for the kingdom of God. Jesus uses teams of people with the different giftings and administrations and operations that he gave them to collectively surrender that, yes, someone's got to be the guy that does the preaching, and somebody's got to be the guy that does the music, and somebody's got to be the guy that does the sound and the nursery and the cleaning and the structure and all that goes on within a church. It's not just one guy that shows up and does this. And so you might not be the guy that goes out and starts the church in one of these communities, but maybe you could be the house. Maybe you could be the car. Maybe you could take what God has given you and put in your hands and use it for him. So there's my treasure. That's the first one, right? Super uncomfortable. Let's move to the next one. It's my job, though. Number next, what about my job? Now, I'm convinced, this is just my opinion, and I'm, I'm pretty certain it's correct. I'm convinced that God wants some of you to leave your job behind and go do a work for Jesus. Kind of like Paul left tents to go plant churches, left building, making tents to go plant churches. We'll get more on that in a second. But did you know that it doesn't seem like Aquila and Priscilla left their tent-making company? In fact, they seem to have kept it pretty steady. And it was their retention of their job that allowed the ministry to go forth. So when I get up here and I'm talking about, hey, we're supposed to go do this, you might think, oh, am I supposed to quit my job? Maybe not. Maybe you're supposed to be Aquila and Priscilla who stay behind to make tents and be able to house the church. I don't know. We're getting creative here, right? Paul even would return later on in life to pay bills. Uh, He would would, would, uh, return to tent making. But while I would submit that some are supposed to leave their nets and follow Jesus to be fishers of men, I also fully believe there are those who are supposed to keep selling purple like Lydia to pay for the missionary journeys of Paul. There's supposed to be Simon the Tanner who houses Peter when Peter goes and brings the gospel to the Gentiles for the very first time. There's supposed to be Sosthenes who was the the head priest in the the temple in in, uh, Corinth who would retain that position for a very long time even while he was a part of the church. You see, your job has given you influences and abilities and open doors that Jesus wants to use for the kingdom. The problem is, we probably haven't spent much time thinking about how those intersect because we have our real life and then there's church. And I'm doing what God has told me to do because I'm going to church and I'm giving to church and I'm serving in church. And I would not discount any of that. I would simply say that you have other things that God perhaps could and desires to use for the sake of his kingdom. And I can't tell you everything that is. I'm just giving you options and ideas. I hope you go home and you and your wife or you and your family pray and say, what do we got and how could that be used for the kingdom of heaven? So I, 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 I want to propose some creative ways perhaps that God might use your job to intersect with his kingdom. Number one, think with me, what position or influence can you use for the kingdom? Some perhaps in this room, and again, I don't know everybody's context, but some perhaps in this room are in management. I can't tell you how that intersects, but Jesus will if you ask him. Hey, Lord, I've got this position. God, you've given it to me. You've provided for me. You've blessed my family with it, but I want to give it to you. I'm not, I'm not, that doesn't mean that he's going to take it and send you to Africa, but Lord, what I have, I want to give to you, and how can you use this for your kingdom? Perhaps you maybe own your own business or serve in some capacity. How does that intersect with the kingdom of God? Uh, think outside of the elementary level of giving while I'm paying my tithes. Okay, great. That's fine. That's, that's fair. But could you maybe make tents and do more ministry? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not God. I'm not calling you to that. How can you leverage the gift that God has given you? 
Does it create more flexibility in your schedule? Does it create more free time as the boss to be able to share the gospel with a coworker? I remember when I was a, a, a and I, I, don't, I don't like to use myself as an example, but this was years and years ago. I was a paper boy. I was 13 years old. And I felt like, hey, this is my job. This is my, my, I had two routes. So what I did is, is I, every couple of months, I would put a track. It's probably illegal, right? I'd put a track on the inside of the rubber band, and I'd throw it to the door, right? And it was just a, a little job, and it was a paper boy but I just wanted it to belong to Jesus. And if he could use it, then he could use it. If it got me fired, it might have gotten me fired. Um, but I wanted Jesus to know it belonged to him. Maybe you mow lawns. Well, how's that supposed to be used for the kingdom? Maybe you're a school teacher. How's that supposed to be used for the kingdom? So, so number one in that question is, what position or influence does that give you? Number two, thinking about your job, what open doors might that have that God could use for his kingdom? And again, I have no idea what open doors your company or your influence gives you. Your position, I don't know what that opens. But you won't know that either if you don't ask Jesus. Have you ever stopped and said, Lord, I, I do this for a living, or I, this is my occupation. How does that intersect with the kingdom? Well, that's ministry. Maybe there's a coworker God puts you there to reach. Maybe there's access to a certain part of the community that nobody else can get into, but you can. Maybe you hold a position that makes you well-regarded or trusted. Maybe you rub elbows with leadership. I don't know, but I bet you if you ask Jesus, he would tell you. So again, my goal this morning is not to tell you how to use your job for Jesus. My goal is to ask you or submit to you that you would ask Jesus how he could use that. So my job, my treasure, and these last ones are much faster. Number three, how can I use my giftings? For the kingdom. Now, we spent a bunch of time a couple months ago detailing this, so it doesn't require much attention, but we all understand that God has given us spiritual gifts, right? Leadership, helps, mercy, teaching, preaching, and we would all realize absolutely without argument those gifts belong to the church. He gave you those gifts for the work of the ministry. And when my, minute, when my gifts intersect with His kingdom's purpose, that's ministry. So let me just use an example that I find myself in when it comes to the, this battle map behind us, this reaching our community. Paul tells Titus this. This was a verse that came to my mind a couple nights ago, just in the middle of the night I was praying about it. Titus 1.5 says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting. And here it is. And ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. Now I know, contextually, Paul's talking to Titus. But if it was God's will then to have a church and a lighthouse in every city that Titus was near, I think it's a pretty safe bet to say that God desires for us to reach every city here. So that's our marching orders. So then let me ask. We're gonna, I'm going to use, I'm gonna use uh, my context as kind of an example. So how can I be a part of that personally? Right? This is, this is me. I, I, here's the problem, though. I pastor Faith Baptist Church. Faith Baptist Church is approximately right there. So how am I supposed to be involved in the, the whole thing? How am I supposed to reach China or Southeast Asia? How am I supposed to? I have zero intention of leaving this church. But you know what God has given me? One, he's given me a call, no doubt. But he's given me certain gifts. Okay? One of the gifts that I have, and I, I, I'm not being proud about this, I have the gift of administration. My wife says that in a lot of ways I'm not organized. In some ways I am very organized. Uh, and that's just true. I have the gift of administration. When I look at this, I look at it very clear-headed. I can organize and execute and put a plan together and, man, let's get the troops doing. Let's get some men organized. Let's organize the, the founding of these churches. Let's, let's train and teach people. And Man, that doesn't, that doesn't intimidate me. Why? Why? Because I'm great? No, no, no. He gave me that gift. Just like he gave you a gift. That's how my gift intersects with this map. How does your gift intersect with that? How does your gift intersect? Maybe perhaps as a, uh, you have the gift of teaching. Maybe you have the gift of giving. Maybe, maybe you're good with numbers and you could look after some of the books or in some way, some creative way, you could say, this is how my gift intersects with reaching the world for Jesus. 
Maybe you're an older person who say, I can't walk out. Well, maybe you could send letters. Maybe you could make calls. Maybe you could send mail outs. There's something you can do for the work of the kingdom. Some of you have learned leadership in your occupation and your journey of life. You've climbed corporate ladders. Well, how does that translate into ministry? Maybe you have an acumen for numbers or an ability to inspire followers. Some of you possess skills that are 100% necessary for ministry. And yes, perhaps you learned them like Moses did. Listen to me. Moses learned leadership where? In the house of Pharaoh. He learned it in the world, and then he led God's people. And perhaps God has sent you on a journey to learn some leadership and learn some skills. Why? Not so you can build Pharaoh's kingdom, but you can build God's. The thing about starting other works or other churches is it creates too much work for the people doing it here, which is a beautiful problem to have because then somebody else needs to do that. You know what we saw when we started Spanish ministry? That exact truth. It created too much work for all of us to do, so other people had to step up. You know, that's God's design for how the ministry goes forward. So my treasure, my job, my gifting, and notice lastly, my time, and we're right on schedule. Can I start by talking to our senior citizens tonight or today, our senior saints? Sometimes you think, I think you do, Sometimes it might be easy to think, well, what part can I have in the kingdom? Well, you are rich in perhaps the most valuable commodity. I'm always so encouraged. We have a handful of retired women that come to the school every week or every day to serve and give their time for the sake of the kingdom. Let me give you some hypotheticals. This is not a hypothetical. I'll give you a hypothetical in a minute. Here's a statement. Your retirement, perhaps, that God gave you, your retirement is a gift that has been given to you to intersect with his kingdom. Just like my children's adolescence is a gift God gave them to intersect with this kingdom. So is your retirement. Let me give you some hypotheticals. Retirement. Hey, listen, why not go see the world and help missionaries? Just some ideas. Sell your house. Fine. Go see the world through the eyes of Jesus. Why not yoke up with the idea of maybe moving and helping a church plant? You know, I, I've said this before, and I haven't said it publicly. I've said it to Brother Hunter and a couple of folks. You know, if I'm going to lose you to move out of California, I would hope that you would, I would lose you to the sake of the ministry. That would thrill my heart. I would send you to the furthest <laughs> reaches of the globe to go do work of ministry and make the last part of your life the most valuable parts of your life. Listen, and just as some have more money than others, some have more time. Let me speak to our young adults. You have, and, and you'd say, oh, I'm so busy. Oh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> You have a lot of time on your hands. What if, hypothetically speaking, because I can't tell you what to do, though God has made me a bit of a general in this process. I can't tell you what to do, but what if you could give a year or two of your life to doing this and then go do college and start your career? What if you could do that? I can't tell you to do that. I'm not God. But if you're rich in that area, God gave you that for a reason. We got young people who grow up and graduate high school and have no purpose or direction. What if we could employ you for the work of God? What if we could send you to Africa for a year and live with the Newtons and help them establish their church? What do you have? What is in your hands that you can use for the sake of the kingdom? We all have time. We simply lack the creativity to ask. And again, I think the thing inhibiting us isn't necessarily an unwillingness. It's just that we've never thought about it. Because to be honest with you, I haven't thought much about it. This is something God's been putting in my heart as I've been searching the scripture on how did they start churches? How did this work in the book of Acts and in the epistles? What were they doing? And I'm finding these examples thinking, why aren't we doing that? And part of that might be, and certainly is, church leadership. But I just want to submit these ideas to you. What do you have in your hand? Your intellect, your possessions, your physical wealth, What positions do you hold? What power do you possess? 
I want you to start asking Jesus, not for the generic set of marching orders, but God, what I have, what would you like? And how would you like me to use it for your kingdom? Let's pray.